Well, thank you, and um, thank you for allowing me to be with you this morning. I, uh, um, it's a, really it is a privilege uh, to be here this morning. I um, enjoy getting to meet new congregations, new people, and actually, apparently, reconnecting with people. <laughs> I uh, um, just uh, was talking with somebody and, and having multiple conversations with people that apparently know me or I know them or we know people who know each other. Um, I grew up in Pontiac, uh, not too far away. Now we just moved back, as Pastor said. And, um, and so I know some people in and around this area and uh, um, was down in Rantoul. My, my dad was a pastor in Rantoul my, and then in, in Pontiac, and now he is up in Princeton, Illinois. So, um, so we've been in this area a long time. And uh, I graduated Pontiac uh, from Pontiac High School in 2003. My wife and I uh, went to high school together. And uh, since then, I've been, we've been moving pretty much nonstop. Uh, when, in 2008, I was a missionary with the ELCA, uh, both of us. We got married in 07. In 08, we became missionaries uh, in, a, in a program that was uh, designed for young adults. It's called the Young Adults and Global Missions Program. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second because that's kind of what I'm doing now in, in, in a certain way. But uh, so we were in South Africa for a year. And it was an incredible experience to, uh, to live in a new culture, to be a part of the church in a new culture, and to uh, share the gospel in, in those places. Uh, we work specifically, there is a Lutheran church in South Africa, and lots of you know, Lutheran denominations, so we got to partner with them and, and work with them, and it was a lot of uh, uh, really great experiences from that. After that, I went to Luther Seminary up in, in St. Paul, Minnesota, and um, so I got a uh, got my education and then felt called to go back into missions. And in 2014, uh, we went back, this time with our oldest daughter, Stella. She was born in 2013. We went back to South Africa with a ministry called Blessman Ministries. And I helped to start a church there. And it was a rural area. It was really cool. It was, it was really awesome because we actually lived on a game farm. Now, most missionaries don't get to do kind of weird, exotic things quite like that. Some do, but uh, it was on a game farm with wildebeests around and, and uh, ostriches with ostrich babies hatched. That, I mean, it was, it was really, really interesting, really fascinating. Giraffe, like just out around us. Um, so we lived on that compound. But in that area, there was lots of workers who worked on the various farms. There's orchards, there's uh, peanut farms, all sorts of different things. Uh, corn, they grew maize. And a lot of the workers had to live out there. And so we planted a church out there. And, uh, and one of the biggest problems in, in Africa right now is not that they haven't heard Jesus. It's just that they hear a skewed version of the gospel. They hear a version of the gospel. You might be heard the prosperity gospel, health and wealth. Uh, the idea is that, oh, if you believe in Jesus, everything's going to be great. Everything, you're going to have lots of money, lots of, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we know the cross tells us a little bit differently. But, uh, um, and so there's a, a big Pentecostal movement there that uh, kind of has been morphed and in, 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 in combined with a lot of African tribal religions. And so some, some things going on there that have been a little uh, problematic for Christians and for faith there. And so one of the things we were preaching um, the gospel in a, in a church there helped start that, plant that church, and that's still going. Um, we stepped away from that. In the last few years, I've actually been in the Milwaukee area as a pastor of a Lutheran church, an LCMC church up there. And um, 
went through some kind of turmoil in terms of uh, surprisingly, I was the associate pastor, the senior pastor decided to leave and they wanted me to be the senior pastor and, and things happened very quickly and, and I was, wasn't quite ready for it and, and had been kind of sensing for a while God calling me back into missions again. So, uh, so now we're back in the mission world again. And so it's been kind of an up and down roller coaster in and out of missions. And right now what I am doing is developing a program for young adults similar to what my wife and I did back in 2008. And the whole idea is um, for the LCMC, for the NALC, uh, for our, our Lutheran confessional Lutheran bodies to have a place where young people who might feel called to missions to kind of get a really good experience of what it's like to actually be a missionary. Because being a long-term missionary is a lot different than going on uh, a two-week mission trip to Africa or to uh, you know, someplace, Mexico or someplace like that. And so the hope is that if, if a young person is really feeling that call, that they would maybe try this out because uh, you got a long life ahead of you. Try a year out. See, is this what God's really calling me to is being in another culture? It's a lot more difficult than we think. You know, oh, it's fun. It's an adventure. Oh, great. But it, it can be really hard. We, you can go through times of uh, maybe depression or, or maybe being really, very homesick. So I want to help guide them through that process and help them grow in their faith. And so that's what we're developing. We hope it's a, a blessing uh, for the future of missions, but also for young adults to grow in their faith and maybe be pastors and leaders in our churches. And it's a way for us as congregations to raise up the future pastors and missionaries from our own congregations. Because a lot of times we think, oh, they just appear. You know, God just makes them out of, you know, thin air or something. But they actually come from our families. They come from our churches. And so we want to think of ourselves as the place, the, the breeding ground for the future of our church. And so I hope that this program can be a way to assist that. Uh, I know God works in our congregations, local congregations, you guys, uh, where I was at. Uh, churches like my dad's church, those churches, that's where God is primarily working in the world, is through you and me in the local church. Um, but we hope that this program can be a way to assist the local church and to help our churches grow. So that's what I'm doing right now. There's information out in, um, out in the hall. I have a little table set up out there if you want to look at that. Uh, we definitely need your support. Um, so please, if you're able to, if you feel called to, uh, we would love your support. If you want to sign up for our newsletter, things like that, I have a blog that you can follow and get more details. We're going to be starting it next, uh, next summer, August, next summer in Vietnam. So we have some ministries there. Our, our bigger ministry, it's called Awakening Lives to World Missions. And that ministry has several, other, several pieces to it. And one of those is some medical ministry in Vietnam. And uh, so they'll be working, young adults would be working in partnership with some of those ministries already in Vietnam and in Cambodia as well. So that's a little bit about um, what I'm doing. And I'd love to chat with you after service and share a little bit more. Um, you want to know specifics or, or if you know of a young person that you think would be great for this, um, you can pick up uh, some of that information afterwards. So that'd be great. Well, uh, this morning, uh, the uh, passage is not a typical passage in terms of Advent, uh, but it's a passage that I think is really important um, for us. I think it really does speak into our reality of Advent and into our lives as thinking about mis being missionaries. 
Now, one thing before I start, I do, I'm going to say missionaries over and over again, and I think there's an important distinction. The apostle Peter called us a priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. And so each and every baptized Christian is a priest, and, and I, as I talk to the kids, in, in a way a missionary, but specifically I want to keep using that word missionary for people who go overseas just as a helpful to kind of keep our minds on the same page. So when I say the word missionary, I'll be talking about people who go out of the country, go overseas, generally speaking, to spread the gospel to new places, take the the gospel to places people haven't heard. Uh, In chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to get your Bibles out, if you have your phone, the Bible on your phone, uh, anything like that, we're going to be looking at that um, throughout the sermon and we're going to start in, cha- in verse 14. So chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in 2010... um, the Bears, I don't know if you're Bears fans down in this area. <laughs> um, the Bears had uh, put out some uh, videos um, uh, around their training camp you know, in, in July, August. Uh, they followed the rookies all throughout the training camp. And the, one of the videos shows, at that time in 2010, it was Lovey Smith. Now he's uh, down at University of Illinois. Um, but he was uh, giving kind of an orientation speech to the new, the new rookies in, in camp. And in that moment, they knew... Uh, all that what was on their mind was uh, the pressure because they were in there with about 80 other players and there was about 27 rookies there that year and out of 80 players the team was going to have to cut down the roster to essentially 53. You go through a series of cuts from six down to 80, down to 65, down to finally 53. And so uh, of the 27 rookies um, about maybe seven were going to be kept because rookies are usually the first ones to go uh, unless they really impress the coaches. Well, in that video, Lovey Smith um, tells the rookies there. He's they got them gathered around. He says, make us put you on the team. Make us put you on the team. So in other words, he's telling them, play so well in practice, work so hard, play so well in the uh, preseason games that we are forced as coaches to put you in the game that we are forced to keep you on the team, that we, 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 it would be such a huge loss if we had to cut you. So he's telling them, make us put you on the team. And this same idea, I think, is, is too often used to describe our Christian faith. 
The Christian faith is often portrayed as a life kind of like a preseason training camp. We're supposed to prove to the coach up in the sky that we're <laughs> worthy of making the roster. The emphasis usually is on us. It's on our decisions, our actions, our desires, our plans, our dreams. Are we good enough? Are we ready for the big time? Are we ready for eternal life? You know, am I really someone, does God really love me? Am I really good enough for God's love? Well, during the Advent season, this often takes the form of preparation and readiness. Now, um, we do prepare during the season, but it's a little bit different, and and I'm going to talk about that. The preparation isn't necessarily getting our hearts ready for Christ. It's actually that Christ comes and makes us ready. (laughs) But Advent is a time of preparation. We're not trying to make the team. We're not trying to get things kind of get in shape. Our efforts are not going to bring Christ down. Christ comes. He has said he's going to come. Uh, and and th- it might come a little bit. Uh, I, I do need to make something clear. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say this. It might come as a, a huge disappointment to all those super fans. But uh, um, uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, Mike Dicka is not God. So we don't have to please the coach. But uh, I don't know if you ever watched the Saturday Night Live. Super fans, dog bears, dog bears, dog bears. Well, I I was thinking, I was watching some of those last night, thinking about uh, the coach, and um, it was it was funny watching. uh, They they made some predictions, and uh, so I thought I'd make my prediction, uh, uh, my my own prediction of the Bears today playing. It's a big game today, right? You know. So the Bears are 79 and the Rams 3 because, you know, they got a pretty decent offense. So. <laughs> Dub Bears. Yeah. Well, back to Advent. Advent is actually the season in the church calendar that we remember what God has already done, what God is continuing to do, come down. God has already come down into this world. He's already come in that manger. He's already come, died on a cross, and rose to new life. God continues to come in the preaching of the word and the sacraments through the Holy power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues to come, and Christ will come again. So we wait with hope for when Christ will come again. In our reading from 2 Corinthians, Paul makes the same case to the Corinthians gathered. Um, there, Corinth is, is a port city in, in Greece, and if you have your Bibles out with you, we can continue to look at that. And what Paul is saying is he's, he's focusing in on all the things that God continue, has done and continues to do. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV, so yours might be a little bit different. But I'm going to read through again our reading and, and, and point out some of these things. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. This is Christ's love that controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. He did that. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, I don't know if any of you created yourselves, but a new creation is something that God does and continues to do in our lives. He is making us new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, so gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So through Christ, he has reconciled us and then given us a job. So he's doing something. He's continuing to do something in our lives. 
That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. So even though we might be living our lives as ambassadors, God's still doing something through us. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God is continually doing stuff in our lives here and now. At least 12 times Paul talks about God's activity. And Paul mentions our responses and our participation in that in, in five ways. He talks about participating in Christ's death. He talks about living a new life for Christ. Those who live for Christ see the world through totally new eyes. So we, we are given new eyes and now we see things differently. He says, those who live for Christ are ambassadors. I'm going to get into that a little bit more. And he says, humans should seek reconciliation with God. We should seek that out. So there's a stark contrast. God is active, and we're more in a passive situation. In John's Gospel, I believe this was your passage from last week, it says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So we're not always ready for Christ. But yet Christ comes, and he prepares our hearts for that when he will come again. And one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Corinth is because they've forgotten this to a certain extent. And we see this in a couple different ways. As we just saw, Paul spends tons of time focusing on what God has done and emphasizing the activity of God in their lives. And he says in verse 16, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. The we in that verse specifically, now we can kind of read ourselves into that text, and that's not a bad thing to do, but specifically in Paul, when he was writing it, the we right there is Paul and his missionary companions. He acknowledges that at one time he himself saw Jesus according to the flesh. And Paul uses that term, the flesh, in a couple different ways. Here, he's specifically talking about the way the world sees things. So when we worldly have the eyes of flesh, we think, oh, the people who are the richest, the wealthiest, the most successful, they're the best. They're the ones that God has blessed. And so that's kind of the way the world sees things. If, if you're poor, if you're uh, maybe sick, then God must not really be with you because, well, if God was with you, then he would, you know, that whole prosperity gospel, health and wealth kind of gospel thing. So the eyes of the flesh see things a different way. And Paul says that he used to see Jesus through the eyes of the flesh. But Jesus in that day and age was a threat to Paul's leadership. It was a threat to many of the religious leaders. He was a threat because he said, well, guess what? All that stuff in the Old Testament, all those kind of rituals and things, they all were meant to point to me, to Jesus. And so they're coming to an end. It's one of the reasons why we don't offer sacrifices as Christians. I don't know if you want to bring back blood sacrifices or not, but uh, it's one of the reasons why we don't do that because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And they all, all those sacrifices before him pointed to him. And it was a threat to the religious leaders of that day because 
Jesus was saying that he is God. And, and there were some other people that said that they were God in the flesh before Jesus. And, and they did not, uh, um, uh, their, their reign there was not a good reign. Um, there was a man two, three hundred years before Jesus that came in and desecrated the temple because he said he was God in the flesh. So the Jewish people did not look too highly on people like Jesus. Well, and, and Jesus is, is continually a threat, even in our days, but I uh, think back uh, a little ways to the 16th century. It's one of the reasons why Martin Luther was seen as a threat to the Catholic Church. And, and I'm not trying to pick on the Catholic Church, uh, uh, but Martin Luther was, was cast out because he was trying to bring back that message of the cross, the message that, of the gospel that Jesus has done all these things for us. We don't have to do anything to earn God's love. But that was, again, a threat to the system, the religious system of that day that said you had to do all these different rituals and do all these different uh, sacrifices, or not sacrifices, but you had to pay penance or pay indulgences and things like that. Luther called what we receive from Christ freely. He called it the happier, glorious exchange. And the Apostle Paul puts it in, the, in verse 21 of our reading. He says, for our sake... God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We flipped places. That's what happened in the cross. We flipped places. We get to be God's treasured children in heaven. Jesus took our place in death. We are unworthy, but Christ makes us worthy. He takes our place and gives us his place. And that's constantly a threat to this world because it means... We're not of this world. We don't see the world the same ways. We don't think the same ways. And the Corinthians that Paul is writing to are struggling to see things through the spiritual eyes of Christ. And the other verse that suggests that they're struggling with this is in verse 20 where Paul writes, Therefore we are ambassadors. And again, he's talking about we specifically uh, as Paul and his, and his missionary friends who are uh, writing this letter to them. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So that, that imploring, he says, be reconciled to God, means something was going on that they needed to repent of. And the idea there is when he says we are ambassadors, the, an, an ambassador, I don't know if you're familiar with kind of uh, matters of state where an, an ambassador is someone who goes and lives in another country kind of like a missionary and they are an ambassador for maybe the president you know the secretary of state is the highest level but we have ambassadors in china and south africa and all over the world also great britain all all sorts of different countries and the those ambassadors are there to represent the president and so they don't have any authority of their own. Their authority comes from the present. Uh, but you think back to maybe the biblical times, the ancient world, Rome, uh, we don't have the ease of communication. So say Caesar would send an ambassador to a country that was uh, maybe rebelling a little bit and weren't paying their taxes. And the ambassador would come with a message and say, well, you better start paying your taxes or the army's going to come. And so if he brings this message, and if the ambassador is rejected, you're not rejecting just that ambassador. You're rejecting Caesar in Rome because he stands for someone else. He stands in the place of Caesar. So an ambassador is actually someone who is representing someone higher, someone with a lot more authority. And so when Paul is saying to the Corinthians that if they, that something's up with their uh, relationship with God because they've been 
not really paying close attention to what Paul has been telling them. They haven't been uh, living out the gospel message that he's been sharing with them. They haven't been focusing completely on Christ and seeing Christ and seeing one another through those spiritual eyes of faith. Paul implores them to then not be reconciled to him, but be reconciled to God. They're actually been rejecting God. And that's part of our Advent message. Jesus has come to die and rise again. Jesus continues to come in the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments that we receive. Jesus will come again in glory, as, as the Apostles' Creed says, to judge the living and the dead. And that's the message that Paul had been declaring. And if they need to be reconciled to God, then they must have been rejecting that truth, that message. Now, what does that have to do with Christian missions? All that kind of talk about uh, uh, Advent and, and uh, the, what Paul was talking to those Corinthians about. Well, we live in this kind of paradoxical time that a lot of people, a lot of theologians, pastors call the already and not yet. And like the, Christ, the Corinthians, we live in a time where God has already won our salvation, but we struggle to see things through the eyes of faith. It's really hard. In World War II, after the successful invasion of Normandy uh, many, uh, you know, on D-Day, on June 6, 1944, many believed that that was the turning point of the war. That was the day that the, the Allies kind of, they took control and, and the war was in their hands. The Allied forces were going on the offensive. It was theirs to win. But the war didn't come to an end until VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, on May 8th, 1945, almost a whole year later. Almost a whole year later. Before that day, in between that time, everybody knew, okay, the war, it's, it's coming to close, it's going gonna, it's gonna to finish, sooner or later it's going to be over, but it's not over quite yet. It's kind of like that for us for, as Christians. We live in this already, but not quite yet. It's not completely finished. We know the, Christ, the cross says that the victory has been won. But Jesus says he's going to come and, and finish the work. He's going to make all things right and give us the new resurrection. So in a similar way, we live in this cosmic battle. <laughs> and we have an enemy that's fighting. Christ has been fighting. The Bible is quite clear that there is a personal force of evil in this world that works against God to thwart his plans. God, humanity, and Satan are all snared in this battle. Right now, we live in this in-between time, and, and Paul even talks about it. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says the new creation has already started. Because of our faith in Christ, we already have this new life. But as many of you probably know, we, we still experience the pain of death. I know uh, that my body isn't quite as strong as it once was. Each winter, shoveling snow gets a little harder. I don't know if, that, if that's for you. I'm still pretty young, so it's not too bad. But every year, it gets, you know, your back gets a little bit more sore, and you realize you know, we're, the body is still going through a pretty tough time. Or, um, my, my grandmother just recently passed away back in May, um, and, and uh, she was a faithful Christian, Christian woman, an incredible wife, and, and mother, and grandmother, and great-grandmother. So we know that we live in this world where things aren't quite the way they should be, but yet 
the new life of faith, of resurrection life, has already started. We also see a world that's suffering from disease, from war, from greed, all number of evils. Um, I just, in my trip to Cambodia recently, visited uh, uh, and got to see an incredible country and, and learned a little bit about uh, the Khmer Rouge. I don't know if you were familiar with that growing up. Uh, the Khmer Rouge was a communist party that killed 1.5 to 3 million people of their own people. But it, it, uh, they don't know exactly, but about 1.5 to 3 million people of their own people. That's about 25% of their population. Their own government wiped out 25% of their own population. I mean, that, that's not that long ago. We live in a fallen, broken world, and the enemy is not going to go down without a fight. And in this time in between, this time of already not yet, we all live as ambassadors of, of that reconciliation, but missionaries have a specific role to play. We're already on the team. We're already in the game. God has already given us a part to play. And Christian missions is that declaration of that good news to all those people who haven't yet heard it. There's a lot of people in our, our country, and it's, it's critical that we continue to do that here in our daily lives. But there's a lot of people who have never even heard the name of Jesus. And people that don't have a Bible in their own language, that can't pick up and read a Bible. Christian missionaries are those ambassadors that, like Paul, that are taking the gospel around the world to new places, to new people, to new cultures. All people have been reconciled to Christ. That's what Paul talks about. This, the death of Christ was for all people. And so Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. It says Christ's love for all people compels us to be missionaries, to send out missionaries, and to continue to support missionaries. I, I, I made a, um, a comment earlier, uh, the Apostle Peter calls us priests. We are the priesthood of all believers. And he says this, uh, we are priests, we are all priests. Wherever we go, we either bring, um, ex that, that's not Paul, sorry, that's a quote from um, a missionary, actually, um, a missionary named Eric Little. I don't know if you've ever heard of Eric Little. He was the, the subject of Chariots of Fire, the great uh, Oscar-nominated, won, won the Oscar for Best Picture in 81. Eric Little became after that. That's what he became famous for, but he was actually a missionary in China for many years after that. And he once said, um, we are all missionaries. Wherever we go, we either bring people nearer to Christ or repel them for Christ. We are all missionaries. I think I, I want to keep that term missionary for people who go overseas, but you get the idea. We're all part of this. Everything we do in life is either bringing people nearer to Christ or repelling them from Christ. There's a, a, an author named Flannery O'Connor. She also put it this way. She said, my subject is writing. That was her, her vocation in life. Fiction is the action of grace in the territory held largely by the devil. I love the way she puts it. Grace in action in territory largely held by the devil. And so missionaries are those people that are going around the world to places where people, where the devil seems to have a stronger foothold because people have never heard about the gospel and never heard about Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit is there. God uh, is giving them grace and mercy and covering them. And he's calling us to go and proclaim the message of the gospel. And people who go, they do this because the love of Christ compels them. 
They're not going off to be adventurers, not going off to, to make a name for themselves. They're going off because they truly believe the love of Christ compels them, controls them. So I hope that uh, you will continue to support mission work. I hope that you continue to raise up people from your own congregation to be missionaries. I hope that uh, the love of Christ would continue to control you in everything you say and do. That you would participate in the work of God, all, not just here in this place, not just in this, this city, this, this state, but throughout the world. Because just like Paul, we need to continue to send people out, support them, and help them as they take the gospel into the territory largely held by the devil. We need to continue to preach that good news so that others can know that Christ has come for them, what Christ has already done, what Christ continues to do, and that Christ is coming again. So I hope that uh, you will continue to support missions, not because that's going to earn favor with the coach, (laughs) but because Christ has already made you into a new creation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ into this world when we were not ready. We were not ready for him. And it shows because uh, of that candle, the Bethlehem candle. And we, uh, we, as we heard earlier, we have all sorts of places in our hearts that uh, um, are, are not ready for you. All, all sorts of places in our lives that are not ready for you. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to, to make us the people that you have called us to be. Make us into the new creation. We ask that you would come into this place as we, uh, as we come together and receive the meal. Fill our hearts with your love. Fill our hearts with your forgiveness. Help us to live out your love. Control us by your love. Help us to be missionaries. Help us to be priests in our daily lives, in our daily vocations, whether it's a father, husband, uh, mother, wife, grandmother, uh, all those different things as, as students. And also help us to remember that you are sending people out all over the world so that others would know about your son. Help us to support them. Help us to strengthen them. Help us to encourage them, to pray for them. We ask that you would bless all missionaries all over the world that are doing your gospel work. Help them to be ambassadors that represent you well. We ask that you would um, bless your gospel and send it out. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.